Today we'll be preaching an entire book of the Bible, so you can look forward to that. So if you go with me to 2 John, dot, 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 uh, you'll find that it's like 13 verses long. Um, if this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. Um, we will pray and go ahead and dig on in. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day, and this is your church. We belong to you. This, this community belongs to you. Our our, our lampstand, our witness, our, our testimony, our truth, these belong to You, and we belong to You, and we live in Your hands and by Your grace and by Your mercy. And so we just pray now, Lord, that we would hear Your Word, that it would breathe life into us, um, that we would grow in a, in a deep and abiding passion for who You are, and that we would live that passion out in, in the minutiae and the details and the 24-7 of our lives. And that as a community, we would be marked off and set apart because of what we believe and how that thing that we believe works out into the life of, uh, of us as individuals, but into the life of our church. That you would make us a city set on a hill. That you would make us light in the darkness. That you would make us faithful witnesses to you and to your glory as we enjoy you and live passionately for you here. So please bless this time. And just help us to know you more and live more desperately and deeply and passionately for you. Jesus, we love you. We pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, so we're in John, chapter, 2 John, no chapter. It feels weird to say. It's 2 John, dot, dot, I don't know. Awkward. Uh, today, in, in some respects, uh, we are going to play my favorite game, uh, and that's uh, Desert Island Bible Edition. Uh, but we're doing the church edition of that. And what do I mean by that? Uh, this is my Bible nerdery, but I don't think it's bad to be a Bible nerd. In fact, I hope you would all be Bible nerds and love God's Word and have things that are favorite books of the Bible. But something that people ask, what's your favorite book to preach through? Or what's your favorite book of the Bible? What book of the Bible do you like reading the most? Uh, and it turns out right now in my personal uh, Bible reading, not that you need to know this, but I'm right in the middle of uh, 2 Samuel. Turns out 2 Samuel's awesome. You know, I'm, I'm reading, I'm like, this is, this is fun and adventure and swords and, and, and revolution. And then, you know, we're preaching, we're going to get ready to preach uh, Peter's letters and we're going to do Romans in the fall. I'm like, maybe Romans is the favorite. Maybe, maybe it's P Peter's really good. First oh, John was awesome. John's gospel is great. Oh, and then what about stuff we don't read all the time? Zechariah, that's a good book. Oh, good night. That is an amazing book. Daniel, the whole thing of Daniel, not just the stuff with the lions, but the stuff with the Ancient of Days, which I appreciated was in the hymn. Ancient of Days, one of my favorite names for God. And everyone's like, that's a weird name. It's in the Bible, just not a lot. Um, so as we do this, we're doing the church edition. If you are on a desert island and we only had one book of the Bible to have, uh, in terms of the life of the church, I actually think this little letter that kind of lives off in the distance that people don't often read, uh, 2 John needs to make the list. I think this letter that he's writing to this church really helps us to understand what it is to embody the reality of Jesus as a people and how that we live that out. Uh, and I also think it's important because we don't often have the opportunity, I don't often have the opportunities we're teaching through books to do a whole book. Like Sometimes I get like three verses or ten verses because they're so tightly and densely packed. And I'm going to experiment with it uh, in 1 Peter. We're going to go kind of fast through 1 Peter so we can kind of get the sense of the letter. The, the whole thing, uh, because we have to go really slow when we get to Romans, because if I go fast to Romans, we'll all be really confused. Um, so here we are. Uh, we're in Second John. And what I think is beautiful about this letter, if we take this to heart and we, and we look at it seriously, not only in some ways does it distill and crystallize and galvanize and make clear some of the things that John has been saying both in his gospel and in the letter to uh, First John letter, but I think this also helps us move beyond a Christian ethic that says, I do what the Bible says because the Bible says. Now, I would affirm that. We do what the Bible says because the Bible says so, and we trust the Bible, and it's reliable. Uh, but at its core, what I mean by this, uh, it's not just a sense that I do these things because God told me to, which I do, right? Preface, put it under there. But the reason that I obey his commandments and they are not burdensome, as we heard in 1 John, is because I love Jesus. I think Jesus is amazing. Jesus is God. He is glorious. He is mighty. And I live my life in response to who he is and what he has done. And I trust him more than I trust myself. 
I, I, I understand His glory and His goodness way greater and way superior to me any day of the week. I, I, I am not a good judge of how things ought to go compared to God especially. And if I'm a good judge for anything, it's because God's done that in my life and God is good. So at the core here, what I want us to see is that it's, yes, if the Bible says do it, we do it. And then I think we need to help try and understand why the Bible says, because there's nothing in there that's just random. But, but in fact, we understand our lives lived in response to the glory and the holiness and the beauty of God and ultimately in the gospel, because the reality of the gospel is that I need to be saved from my sin. And God came to save me from my sin. And Jesus came and lived the way of life I should have lived. He came, he died in my place. He came to earth to save me, not so that I get up, get up to get to him. And so that my whole life is lived in response to the beauty of his cross and the power of his resurrection. So why do I do the things the Bible commands me to do? Because of Jesus, that's why. Not just because God said so, not so that God will love me, but because God has loved me and God has saved me from my sin and God has redeemed me and God has given me life. And I think this is all rooted here in 2 John. And I need us to see, and I'm going to use two, they're not really technical words, but we, I, sometimes in the pulpit, I think as, as Christians, we've become so afraid of like, bigger words and bigger ideas that we like just dumb it down all the way. Uh, we're going to talk about theology. That's a word. And we're talk about ethics. Yeah, ethics. It's not even a long word, right? We're going to talk about theology and ethics and really um, how all of our actions are both theological and have ethical ramifications. It's theology and ethics. And I think the thing that we need to see is because uh, there could be so much weight in a world that loves and I love Social justice, right? Union Gospel Mission, we're in it. If you want to get involved, Maryland can help you get involved, Union Gospel Mission. Bring diapers. Kids need diapers in this neighborhood who don't have diapers. Our theology tells us that these babies are image bearers of God, and therefore they also are neighbors and need to be loved because we've been loved by Jesus, that, that we've been blessed to be a blessing, and therefore please bring some diapers and help the babies who need diapers because if you're a parent, the idea of being a... The idea of being a parent without diapers is frightening and sad. Right. Now, I want you to see that this is not a word-action dichotomy. This is not a theology-ethics dichotomy. Our ethics and our theology are wed. They go together. What we do and what we believe about the gospel of Jesus Christ are like peanut butter and jelly. They go together and shall not be separated. So it's so important, right? I'm not just a social justice Christian and I'll let the Bible guys do the Bible thing or a Bible Christian, I'll let the social justice people do the social justice thing. Or I'm not an evangelism Christian, but not a social justice Christian. We're not a social justice Christian, but not an evangelism Christian. It doesn't work that way. They all go together. So here we go, verse 1, no chapter, beautiful letter. Three questions we're looking at. What is the theology we are walking in? One. Two, how does that affect our ethics, how we live it out? And three, how do we live this out in the long run? Not just tomorrow, not just, you know, you think about bringing some diapers and then you forget and then you forget and you forget and you forget, but you will and you... you you're good intended. I, I do that stuff all the time, right? But that, that it actually affects our life, and our life is changed because of this little, tiny letter that is often neglected because it's so tiny and little. Verse 1. The elder to the elect lady, uh, likely code word, persecuted church. Not a lady particular, but talking about the church. Uh, we've lost this in English. Uh, you call a ship, she... Uh, you call a nation sometimes, she, uh, pronouns for different things, personal masculine or feminine pronouns for different things. Uh, oftentimes, churches are called she, or the big C church has traditionally been called she, or other feminine pronouns. The elect, the elder to the elect lady and her children, the church and the people who are in the church, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also who know the, those who know the truth. So they got, we're writing this letter together. John's writing a letter from one church to another church. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. He can't help it. He can't help it even in the intro to say, I'm writing you this letter 
Because I have received the truth of Jesus in all His glory, in all His splendor, and all His wonder. I've been forgiven for my sins. I, I stand with no judgment before God because Jesus has died in my place. I live because of the resurrection. I await His return. And this truth lives in me and God in me and I in Him. This, Because if you look at everything He says about the word abides in John and 1 John, this is uranium dense tight, Right? This truth, the reality of who Jesus is, lives in me and forever will live in me. Praise the Lord. That's just the intro. Verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and in love. We've already picked up on this. So here we are. There's a theology he's after here. He's got a theology he's walking in and sees the church living and breathing in, right? Because, I mean, think about the things he just said. I'm going to tell you again and again and again and again and every week, read your Bible slow. This is just the intro of a letter. And you sit here and say, I'm so glad it's a short letter. Well, there's a lot here. Grace, mercy, and peace. Uh, this peace thing, this word peace, hey, peace. You, know, you say goodbye to your friends, you say peace. Maybe I say goodbye to my friends, say peace, because I was born in 1981, and we did that back in 98. Still do. You're welcome. Um, but this word peace, it, it's the other, it, it's, it's a word that Christians start using in letters. It, it goes back to the Hebrew word shalom, which means wholeness and fullness. He's not just throwing words out there. This is grace. This is all the stuff that you don't deserve, that you've gotten because Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. Grace to you. Mercy, it's all the stuff. Mercy is all the stuff that you deserve that you don't get. It's not just that Jesus gave you a bunch of stuff you don't deserve. He also took on his cross a bunch of stuff now that you don't have to get that you did deserve. And all this leads us to shalom. This leads us to peace. This leads us to wholeness. That's the intro of the letter. From God the Father, He who made everything, the creator of all things, and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. By the way, Jesus, God Himself, the Son. In truth, this is the truth. And in love, because He has the love of Christ. That's all one verse. Read slow. And now I'll start my sermon in verse 3. Verse 4. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. Walking, living, existing, being. Walking in the truth. Just as we were commanded by the Father. Command sounds like ethics. Walking in the truth sounds like theology. So walking in the truth is this understanding, this truth, what the Bible teaches us, what the Bible says, what we understand to be true. And wait a second, there's a command that's an ethic. So our ethic is actually our belief. We're actually commanded to love Jesus in all His wonder, in all His glory, in all His splendor, in who He is for His glory. So all of a sudden, the wall between actions and words or belief and actions is torn down because one of the top actions, if not the top action that we are given as the church is to believe Jesus. That's ethics. What is the ethic? Theology. Bible theology. Believe Jesus. They are wed in the mind of John and we like to categorize things because we're Westerners and we put things in different buckets and we like things in buckets and John's Semitic. He doesn't care about buckets. You were commanded your ethic is to believe. Believe what? The theology. But John, isn't that the theology class and not the practical, practical uh, you know, like discipleship class or the other class? No. They all go together. Classes. You don't register for classes in 2 John. You do things. You believe things. And they all go together. I rejoice, rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. Verse 5. Listen how this affects the ethics. This is our second point. How does this affect the ethics? And now I ask you, dear lady, so speaking to the church generally, not as though I were writing you a new commandment. Have we heard this before? you've ever read John's Gospel or 1 John, we have. If you've never read those, by the way, they're amazing. There's nothing better you could do if you've never read John's Gospel than to grab one of our $2 paperback Bibles this afternoon 
John's gospel that he wrote so that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Nothing better you could do with your life. Nothing more important, in fact, than to receive Jesus today and to hear his truth. Can you guys hear me in the back? My voice is messed up. Okay, I'll keep going and not worry about it. I'm trying not to shout because my voice is messed up. I'm going to shout, but that's just part of how God made me without an inside talking voice. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we had from the beginning. What is it? That we love one another. That we love one another. Membership in our church means that we take responsibility for each other. Membership in our church is not a contract between you and the elders. Membership in our church is saying, this is my people who I love and care about, and I am responsible for them, and they are responsible for me. I'm willingly, joyfully saying that these guys are responsible for me, and I'm responsible for them. I'm responsible for helping them know Jesus more. I'm responsible when they are in a mess. I mean, my family, as many of you know, kind of hit the shipwreck with my wife's health last couple of weeks. She's doing better now. Thank you, Jesus. And the church came around, and I'm just getting texts from everybody. What do you need? How can I help? What da 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 I mean, so I got so many, I didn't even get a chance to email everybody back because I was dealing with four kids who were running around, mama's sick and stuff. But even if I wasn't able to email somebody back, I knew you all were there for me because I'm a member of this church. Not because I'm the pastor. It's because I'm a member. This is my Christian family. And you guys showed me that this week. That you love one another. This is the command that we have from the beginning. This is the core of Christian living. John 13 and 35. They will know you are my disciples from the way that you've memorized every single page and footnote of Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. They will know that you are my disciples because of the way that you are able to actualize and argue apologetics, uh, evidential apologetics in amazing ways. Those are both good things to do. If you remember Dirty Grudem front to back, I will buy you a coffee or something. <laughs> That's amazing. Read it. It's amazing. It's beautiful. John 13, 35, you will know that you are my disciples from the way that you love one another. There's a supernatural love, a sacrificial, other-centered love that a church, that hopefully every church that loves Jesus and believes the Bible everywhere on planet Earth demonstrates so that the world outside looks at us and gets confused because we love each other so much because we care for each other so much, because we're willing to walk with each other, because we not only have joy when we're joyful, but we weep with the weeping. Uh, not only do we take care of each other in, in need, but we also say, hey, you're about to shipwreck your life. You're running off a cliff. Your theology's off. Your ethics off. Your life is off, and I love you. It's a weird love, because that's the kind of love that people get freaked out about in Seattle, where you actually say, I think there's a thing here where you're going to get hit by a train, and you should probably not do that thing. We're very private people. We like to get hit by trains. Don't talk to me about it. That's not your business. It's my train. Again, that's Seattle. We're, uh, you know, we're idiosyncratic. We, we have our own thing going on, right? But you love one another. Our church should be marked by love. And so marked by love that it confuses the world. And that when the world looks at the love that we have for each other, we point back to the cross of Jesus Christ and the love that God had for us in him. So again, I don't do it because, you don't just do it because the Bible said so. We do it because the Bible said so and we trust God and we believe God. So don't, don't edit that out and then run the like 30 second, don't do what the Bible says, quote, or whatever. Uh, what I'm saying is the reason we do what the Bible says is because we believe and trust Jesus who saved us from death to life. That's why we believe it. That's why we do it. Okay. And I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we had from the beginning, that we love one another. In verse 6. So he's going to explain. Yeah, I'll just read it. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. To love Jesus is to believe Jesus and to do what he has said. And again, we don't do that so that he will love us. We do that because he has loved us. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you would walk in it. 
So it's, it's, it's wed, our, our theology, our understanding of who God is and what he has done is wed to the way that we actually walk out and live out that life. Our ethic, what we do, is informed by the gospel and the love that Jesus Christ has had for us. The way we, we love and care and are generous and are kind, all these things are bound up in the way that Jesus has been loving, generous, and kind to us. Your heavenly Father knows what you need before you even ask it. Have you ever tried to count the hairs on someone's head? I have a baby. Now he's getting big, but, you know. He's got a lot of hair. I think he had hair when he came out. I can't remember. Some of them did. He's not got a lot of hair is what I'm trying to say. He doesn't have a lot of hair. If I were to try and sit and count the hairs on his head, I would fail. Jesus, it's not like he's on a file on a Rolodex, but he knows because he's God, but he also knows as a symbol of care. The hairs on your head. He has numbered the hairs on your head. Jesus cares about the intimate ins and out and every second of your day. Jesus cares about you 24-7. He cares what you do about all of those seconds, all of those days, and all of that time. He wants it all. He cares about it all. It all belongs to him. And in all of that, he's doing what? He's showing us kindness. He's showing us grace. He's holding up the universe by the word of his power. Romans tells us that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Even if you don't know Jesus and you're here today and you're hearing about this, you're like, well, he's being kind to you. He's also being kind to you. If you're here and you're not a Christian, he's also being kind to you. And that kindness and care that he even has for you is meant for you to be led to repentance, from you to turn from your sin and receive grace and mercy from his son, Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we live in an attitude, and an attitude of gratitude and thankfulness that leads us to kindness to others. Not only did he forgive me for so much since I met him, he forgave me for so much before I met him. Now, what's really important here is that we have an issue. He's, he's saying, listen. He's using the word commandment. This is not, um, I think John again and again, this is not a good, if you're trying to sell a spirituality to Seattle, John gets an F in his marketing class. He uses the word command all the time. And we want to say, no, no, I'm spiritual, not religious. I just do my own thing. Nobody tells me what to do. Command. John, stop saying it. Command, command, command. Now, all his commands are love one another. Love God, love, 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 love. Obey, trust, follow. They're not burdensome. They're not bad. But we live in a time and a place where I think there are several... I'll use another big word, hermeneutics at work. There are several kinds of interpretation at work that we as Christians in particular need to be careful of. We need to be very careful of. Well, there's one that we don't need to be careful of. It's what we need to do. It's be faithful. We're seeking to have a faithful interpretation of the Bible. We're seeking to have this book change me. We, we seek to come to God's word uh, in a way that is, for lack of a better word, charitable to God's word, uh, understanding that if I don't understand it, it's, the problem's me and not the book. Or if I don't like it, the problem's probably me, not the book. And we live in a time and place where there's several ways to get around that particular faithful interpretation of the text. Um, in modernity, I don't like using the word modern interpretation because it sounds like then we've got this, the, like, the caveman interpretation. Um, but modern interpreters, people who have rejected the traditional view on, on how the Bible works, have said things like, well, you know, which is very interesting because in the, the beginning of the last century, it was, well, you know, no one's going to go in for this whole virgin birth, supernatural, healing, prophecy, God communicates to people stuff, but they'll go in for the ethic. They'll go in to, for loving people and being kind to each other in the golden rule. So they tried to say, well, let's get rid of, let's just get, get rid of everything we just know is, just isn't true anymore. Let's just, let's just ditch supernatural. What's interesting is that's changed and no one reads those books anymore and those guys are all dead now because they're old. Uh, but that was very popular at the turn of the last century. Uh, honestly, when I'm walking with people, and I don't know about you, but when I walk with people here in Seattle who don't know Jesus, they don't really have a problem with prayer. They don't really have a problem with the miraculous. They don't have a problem with healing. Um, they don't necessarily have a problem with the virgin birth. They don't necessarily have a problem that Jesus rose from the dead. They don't have a problem with uh, waters being parted. They don't, have, they don't have a problem with miracle. They don't... They don't have a problem with these things. What they don't like is the word command. 
Don't tell me what to do. And so the sort of postmodernity interpretation says, well, and this is wrong, by the way, and I can tell you it's wrong all day long. Well, there's so many things that the Bible does say to do, and people pick and choose what they want to do and what they want to believe, so then we just need to pick the right things to choose and not choose to do. Now, the things that we choose not to do are, of course, the things that make us uncomfortable, not because the divine has revealed those things to us, but that we just don't like it. You know, I heard a guy on the radio in today talking about the myth, the NPR. This is what happens when you listen to NPR. You get a sermon illustration on the way in, and he was talking about how we create myth in society via Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and he said, well, you know, Martin Luther said the most punk rock thing any, anyone has ever said, and he said something, and that might be, maybe not said anything, but he said it was punk rock. He used the word punk rock and Martin Luther in the same sentence. And he said that Martin Luther believed that anyone could do their own interpretation. And then quietly said in his breath, <coughs> under the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, Martin Luther wasn't saying anybody can say this says whatever it says. He said, you can read your Bible. He said that you don't need Pastor Andrew to be the guy that when someone's trying to sell you nonsense to say that's nonsense. You've got a Bible, you've got the Holy Spirit, and Lord willing, your disciples who are making disciples who can sort through the crud on your own. You can always email me, by the way, if you're like, someone gave me some crud and I'm not sure what to do with this crud, or this, is this crud? I, I can't tell. Feel free to email. Ask me. I, I, that's, that's what I'm here for. I'm, I'm here to help sort those things out. But you do have the ability to sort these things out. Uh, and it's not just what you like and what you don't like. Now, of course, a lot of times the thing they're going to lean on is say, well, people don't do all this Levitical stuff. People get tattoos. Christians love tattoos. It says not to get tattoos. In the King James, it's referring to the same thing as it's referring to uh, when the guys are cutting themselves when Elijah's having the sacrifice off uh, you know, the scene, one of my favorite scenes in the Bible, you bring your sacrifice, I'll bring mine, I'll cover mine with water. Uh, you, you pray for Baal to bring down fire and I'll talk to God and see what he says. And then he stands there and makes fun of him the whole time, which is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible there in Kings. Uh, no fire comes down from them, they cover it with water, fire comes down. But the whole scene, they're cutting themselves. That's the same Hebrew word that Leviticus uses for tattoos and the King James just didn't know what to do with it so they put tattoos. Um, I'm not saying go get a tattoo. I'm just saying that if someone argues with you from Leviticus, they're wrong. That's what I'm saying. No, they're going to say, look, those Christians don't do any of that stuff that it says in Leviticus. They eat, sh they eat crab. Good night. Bacon. Yeah, there's an actual answer for it. It's called Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus fulfilled the law. Whatever is not restated in the New Testament is abrogated from the Old Testament. It means it's fulfilled and Jesus took care of it. It's gone. Now, we do have all the things that he did restate. And, and it's not, and I would affirm, Old Testament, beneficial for uh, all kinds of things, including teaching. It's actual scripture. We actually obey it. We actually listen to it. But you can eat crab. Good news for you, because it's a nice day to eat crab. Read John's Gospel, eat some crab, have a good afternoon. It will be a good day. Now, there's another hermeneutic that we need to be very careful of, an interpretation and it's a revisionist interpretation. They're not saying the things that the postmodern guys are saying. Throw out the stuff you don't like. Just chew up the fish, spit out the bones, and whatever you're left with, that, that's the Bible. They're saying, no, 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 look. I'm going to the Bible to reinterpret the things that I want to say how I want to say them, and I will find a way to say them and present them to you, evangelical Christians, so that you must believe the things of modernity. You must believe the things that are not popular in our society. The Bible doesn't talk about those things. The Bible doesn't say that. Look. No. Look. If you actually look at this and you actually sort it out, you will find it does not say what they're trying to get it to say, and no experts, even usually guys that agree with them, will ever agree with them. So you need to be careful. Why do we need to be careful? Verse 8. Oh, pardon me. Verse 7. For many deceivers have gone into the world those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And again, he's probably dealing with Gnostics, a Gnostic heresy. Specifically, it says, Jesus' spirit is good, body is bad. Uh, the God of the Old Testament created creation, therefore the God of the Old Testament is bad. Therefore, Jesus couldn't be from that God, and Jesus didn't actually have a body because bodies are bad. Thanks, Plato. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such 
Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. And we, we actually dealt with the Antichrist quite a lot uh, in uh, 1 John, but the, the basic of it is, uh, is that there is an Antichrist, or the beast as is written out in the book of Revelation, but what John's really after are those who are living sort of in the spirit opposed to Jesus. You're either for Christ or Antichrist. If you're not for Jesus, you're against him. You're not a pro-Christ, you're an Antichrist, uh, and you're in that spirit of that same thing. Verse 8. Oh, yeah. So, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the, de- is the deceiver, par excellence. They, they typify, if they reject the truth of the Bible, they typify what it is to be against Christ. Now, here's what's scary and why this isn't so important that we just had this hermeneutical conversation, this interpretation conversation. Does he have in mind pagan high priests? Yes, they would hit this category, but that's not who he's talking about. Is he talking about people of the Temple of Hermes? No. He's talking about people who are saying they're Christians, who are rejecting the apostolic teaching, who are rejecting the Bible. He'll go on. Verse 8. We'll come back to that. So just kind of, it's John, it's little, it's tight, he's still going to make a circle. Semitic thinking. He's doing a circle rather than a line. Verse 8. So how do we live out this ethic in the long run? How do we love, live out believing Jesus and doing what he says? Believing Jesus and living in the wake of it. Watch yourselves. Uh, I like five steps. You got some steps, John? You got a book I can read? Watch yourselves. Imperative. Watch yourselves. Be careful, church, when someone rolls along with something that is no way anyone has ever read the Bible or seems at all like what it is saying, either in the English or in the Greek or what anyone's ever thought or you have ever heard, but you really, really, really like it and it will make you popular with all your friends on your block who don't love Jesus. Watch yourself. It's just what you want to hear. It's just what's going to have the people who who don't love Jesus throwing you a parade and loving you and patting you on the back and thinking you are awesome. Watch yourself. You're doing things that are inconsistent with what you you know to be the truth about Jesus, about grace, about mercy, about peace, about what he says in his word. Watch yourself. You're doing things that are contrary to the things that are in his word. Watch yourself. Right there, verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Put one foot in front of the other, following Jesus with absolutely everything you have. John makes an assumption here. John, and you'll see this in John, you'll see this in Peter, his writing. You'll see this in all of Paul's writings. You'll see this throughout the New Testament. John's got an assumption. You're going to grow. That as a Christian who's being faithful, following Jesus, one foot after another, you are going to change. You will be sanctified. You are going to grow in the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. You're going to keep going. Have you ever felt like maybe driving in the minivan here at church this morning, maybe when your plumbing breaks in your house or broke two days earlier and you didn't realize it and all of a sudden the bubble comes out of the sheetrock and pops and ruins your bathroom? You have these moments where you don't feel like the sanctified version of yourself where you feel weak and you feel like, man, I, I blew up at the plumber. I yelled. I don't know why I said that. What happened there? Or, or you doubt, whatever it is. However, that, however you respond to the stuff of life that you know is not what someone who believes that Jesus is the king of the universe does. Yeah. This is why in John I said this last week. I'll say it again. Little children, I write to you that you may not sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with, Je- with God the Father, Jesus Christ. That's what he said. He is assuming that you are growing in the gospel. 
He is assuming you are changing. Now, here's the weirdest part. And I steal this. Just I'm going to steal this from Tim Keller. But I think he's absolutely right. The more mature we become, and the more other people even see that maturity in us, the more we are aware of our sin. The more we grow in the gospel and the grace of Jesus and are changed, the more we also realize, wow, that was petty, that was small, that was selfish, that was self-centered, that was self-serving, and we're warring, 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 or as my homeboy John Owen said, mortifying our sin. We're changing. Now, our, our actual actions as they are expressed we're actually changing. You are actually becoming more mature and more holy. You're also getting to know you and Jesus better, which means you understand he, how much more holy he is and how much more sinful you are and also how much he's crossed the gap, given you life and given you peace in his son. This is contrary to our society. This is contrary to sort of recovery programs that we see a lot where it's like you get in and you don't get out. You know, getting into counseling, that you get in and you don't ever give out. There's no plan to get out. And I'm not saying I'm opposed to any of those things. I'm just saying our society builds them and says, you are messed up, you have a problem, now we're just going to help you cope with it. The gospel actually says, you can change. You can grow. You can be different. It may be very gradual. And again, I'm not, I'm not decrying uh, you know, secular counseling or recovery program. I'm not, that is not my aim. But there is a, an assumption at work there that you need this thing and you need to keep doing this thing because honestly you're just messed up and we're just going to help you cope with how messed up you are. And this, frankly, has leaked its way into the church. When community group just becomes a thing where everyone comes every week and puts all their crud on the table, and I, again, don't hear me wrong, Community group is a beautiful place to come and put your crud on the table. Even week in and week out and week in and week out. And sometimes, at some point in time, Jesus works you through that crud. Works you through that mess. And sometimes it takes six months or a couple of years and you look back and say, man, there was that thing a couple of years ago I was really struggling with. The Lord of the universe, the Almighty, the Ancient of Days, changed that. He changed me. He changed me. I'm different. And sometimes, and sometimes it takes that two years, you're like, I don't even do that. I, that thing, I'm free. I've been free for two years. I just didn't even realize it. This is amazing. Jesus came to bring you life, not navel-gazing, right? Uh, when we only have our sin stuff, right? Jesus came because I'm a sinner. yes. Absolutely, worse sinner than you know. Welcome to Anchor Church. Who came to bring you more life than you can possibly imagine, forgive you for those sins, and give you a whole new life. It's paid for. It's forgiven. The cup of wrath was drunk and you're new. So we need to be careful. Sometimes we get the sense that if we have an authentic Christian community, we're just people that are spewing our sin all the time. And it's great to spew our sin when we have it, but we also need to change. And not you white-knuckling it, doing those spiritual push-ups. Jesus will change you. He changes you with his word. He changes you in prayer. He changes you by the miraculous. He changes you by the help of community. He changes you by the help of friends. He changes you by the help of family. He changes you by the help of situations. He changes us. So an authentic Christian community is one that deals with our junk, but is living for Jesus, moving forward, one foot after the other, growing in the gospel and not festering in our junk. Because that life, that stuck in your junk forever, and that is what it is to be mature, is not the gospel. But it's rampant right now. It's growing in the evangelical church in America right now. This is what people are selling. Hey, have junk. Be honest with your junk. Don't think it's necessarily going to go away tomorrow. There's people who love you and want to walk with you in all of it. But we're, we're people who are living in foxholes. 
moving forward for the kingdom. And we get in our foxhole, we patch each other up, we keep going, we keep moving, we're going forward. We're not just sitting and navel-gazing and talking about the same thing over and over. And, and sometimes it takes talking about it over and over and over and over again. But I'm telling you, we've got to break free and we've got to live and we've got to trust and we've got to walk. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. We're walking forward and forward to the goal of Jesus Christ. Verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of uh, Christ does not have God. Very relevant to the earlier thing that he said up in 7. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. This is who you are. Whatever you came in here with this, this week, whatever you're going out to, if you are a Christian, you have God through Jesus, who you also have by the Spirit, who you also have, who dwells inside of you, Jesus who gives you full and unfettered access to God now and forever. That becomes more and more clear when we're in the kingdom and we're there with him face to face. We know him now behind the foggy mirror, but someday we will know him fully. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, oh man, John, he's going to get another F in marketing, building a, making up a spirituality for Seattle because it's not made up, it's true. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Oh, John, that sounds harsh, man. Here's what he's saying. If someone says they're a Christian and is preaching things that are different, espousing things that are different than the Bible, if you have them over to your house for a barbecue and all your friends on your street see him barbecuing at your house and they know you're a Christian and then he tells them they're, he's a Christian, they're going to think he's a Christian too. Not only that, he's in your house telling all this stuff to your friends who are also Christians. And you might know, well, you know, I really want him to change, but it's garbage or whatever, but somebody else at your party says, well, he's a Christian. I never thought about it that way. Neither has anyone else ever because it's not true. This is what the Bible says, right? This is not me making something up. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Don't act like he's your buddy. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. You're harboring him. When you're treating someone who's clearly against an antichrist who claims to be a Christian and you are making space for them and confirming them and other people go, he's a Christian, he's a Christian, yay, they're both Christians, look at him get along. You're harboring them. Even in our own law system. Well, yeah, I know he did the thing. I was just let him stay on my couch. You're in trouble, sir. <laughs> you were just let to get to that guy. Doesn't just stay at your couch? You're part of the problem now. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Watch yourselves. Now here's one of my favorite little sections. This is so personal, right? This is John, right? Verse 12. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Beautiful. He's a pastor. I'm writing you a letter, but man, I would really love to just, I love to hash this stuff out. I'd love to talk about it. I'd love to talk through the implications. I'd love for you to encourage me. I'd love to encourage you. The children of the elect sister greet you. That's the church that he's at, and the people in that church, the elect sister, sister churches. That's, again, language we've kind of lost. How does it change? Like, we're part of a group called Three Strand. How does it change if we don't say, oh, that's that church that's in the network that we're a part of? That's Damascus Road. They're our sister. They're part of our family. We care about them. So, what do we do all, all this? It's a tight letter. 13, past, 13, 13 verses. It's quick. It's tight. It's awesome. It's fun to preach. Because the reality is when we don't believe this thing, the theology and the ethic that are one, the, the belief in life, the work and action, that there's no bifurcation, they go together. Uh, when we, we don't believe this, we don't actually believe the gospel's good enough. 
When we reject the commandments, we say, yeah, I don't need to believe that part of the Bible or what Jesus says, or I don't need to actionize it, I don't need to do it. But we're saying that gospel thing that motivates that response, it's not worth it. It's not enough to respond to. When you look at something in the Bible and say, I'm not going to do that because that's not what I'm going to do in my society, my time, my place. We're saying that cross isn't big enough, that cross isn't worth responding to, and by the way, that cross isn't worth the cost that it takes to believe the thing that the Bible is telling me. There's a cost to believing this book. There always has been and always will be. There is a cost. You don't believe in pluralism. You don't believe that all paths are up one mountain. No, I don't. And I love you. And so I'm going to tell you it's not the case. I'm not just going to make you say something that makes you feel better. There's a cost to that. There's a cost to that. I'll follow Jesus. When we don't believe this, we don't believe the command, the ethic, the theology Oftentimes we don't think it's something we're called to. Well, yeah, I know that's for the, the Christians to take it really seriously. This is something I really experienced when I first became a Christian. People called themselves Christians that I ran with. Well, that guy takes purity seriously, but he's like that kind of Christian, you know? I'm doing whatever. It's my thing, you know? He's, he's a good Christian. I'm not so good. What? What are you talking about? Like, God's not telling you to do that. Or I think when we don't believe these things, sanctification is not the end game. Growing in holiness and changing to be more like Christ isn't what we're actually trying to do. So how do we get after these things then? How do I get after the theology and the ethic? I actually don't think it's that complicated. I don't think John's trying to make it that complicated. I think so we use simple things. Watch yourself, not ten steps. We, we stop. We stop and we consider who Jesus is and what he's done and what we're responding to. Pray. Ask for his help. Lean into the gospel, lean into the reality of the spirit, lean into the reality that God is sovereign and actually helps us do these things. And we act. Well, you know, I'm a Christian. I know I should be more generous. Well, okay, if you're struggling with generosity, stop and consider, friends, how generous Jesus has been to you. Pray and ask him for help and walk in it. Believe the truth and do it. Now, that's easy to say from here, and I don't know what's going on in your life right now or whatever, but it, it's complex and it's simple. There's nuance in there. But there is a simplicity to this. Um, I think I should be more loving. Okay? Consider how much you've been loved. Pray, ask, and start loving. I think I should be more holy. i got some sins that got to go. Don't wait. Deal with them. If you've got something you've got to deal with the Lord Jesus Christ, don't wait on it. Don't put it on the shelf. You're going to deal with it next week. Stop. Consider His holiness and His goodness and His righteousness. Ask for help. Move. I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Again, it's more nuanced in the, the minutia and the day-to-day Okay, so stop it. You know it's a sin. Stop it. Turn to Jesus. Ask for help. Be honest with people. Confess your sin one to another. Get help. And get on with the rest of your life and get changed. Jesus isn't trying to not have you be more holy or sanctified or changed. We have burdens we bear. We have stuff. We have natural dispositions, stuff in our life that we've got to deal with our whole lives that we might have to battle against our whole life. But you can actually change. Jesus died for your sins to make you whole. And someday you won't have to fight this battle anymore. Someday we're going to be with Jesus face to face and totally made whole. But if you've got work to do with the Lord today, don't do something else. If you've got something in your I'm not as loving as I, I know God's calling me. I'm not as gen- hey, I know the banana splits at Dairy Queen are awesome on a really hot Sunday afternoon. Doing some work with the Lord is more awesome. Don't do something else. Deal with Jesus. Be honest with yourself and deal with this stuff. Even as we, as, we, as, we, as we come to communion, do work with the Lord and be honest with yourself. And if you don't know Jesus, forget the banana split. There's nothing that is more important than you, in your life right now than you get right with God who died to pay the price for your sins, who drank the cup of wrath so you don't have to, to give you life, God of God, King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. There's nothing more important for you to deal with today. Know him, love him, repent, 
as we transition to communion, um, we have regular bread on the far side, gluten-free bread in the middle, uh, juice, wine, and a basket for the offering uh, for the work of the ministry. We do this. We, we consider ourselves. Paul urges us, consider yourself. So we do that. We look at our sin. We look at it right in the face and say, I want that gone. Forgive me, Lord. I know I did this thing. Forgive me. And know that you've been changed. You've been loved. You've been redeemed by God. And we come and we take this as a celebration because you're not fighting that fight alone. You have Jesus Christ, your advocate, working in your life. And so we turn to Him and we repent and we come and we take this cup because He died on the cross to pay the price for all of your sins, not just the ones you committed before you knew Him, but even the ones you're struggling with right now. So we repent of those sins and we turn to Jesus and we stand up and we celebrate and we live. We have a lot to celebrate. We are the people of God. So when you're ready, please join me in, in taking communion. Uh, the band will come back up and sing. We'll stand up and we'll sing and we'll celebrate the wonder and the glory of Jesus Christ. I'll pray for us. Jesus, you're so worthy of our response. You're so worthy of our adoration. You're so worthy of not just Sunday morning, but Sunday night and Saturday night and Friday night. You are worthy of our 24-7. You are worthy of uh, our worship of you at work. You're worthy of uh, us worshiping you as we love our children, as we teach our children, as we take our kids to school, as we, as we play in the park, as we do play dates, as we do life, as we work around our houses. Whatever we're doing, Lord God, you are worthy of our life as a living sacrifice for you and for your glory because even the way we wash dishes is informed by our theology and has ethical implications. It is our ethic. We are responding to you and your wonder and your beauty and your glory and we ask for your help. You're not asking us to do this on our own. You're asking us to do this by the power of the Holy Spirit, the life you've given us through your cross. So help us to turn from our sin and turn to you. Help us to rejoice and enjoy you every step of the way in all that we do. Help us, Lord Jesus, to live for your glory. And help us, Lord, to enjoy you in all that we do. Jesus, we love you and pray these things for your glory and for our joy. In your name, Jesus Christ, amen.